So welcome everybody back to another session of Prop Sessions. Today, I'm really delighted uh, to actually have on John Howard. John really has done it all in the property industry. He is a developer and investor. He's involved with numerous joint ventures. He's a mentor uh, and he's also the author of his own book about property development, which I'm really quite excited to get into today. Um, so without further ado, John, I'd just like to welcome you and thank you for coming on. It's an absolute pleasure to, to be with you today. Thank you very much for inviting me. Fantastic. Um, and look, there are a lot of different ways we can take this. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into to lots of different uh, kind of valleys and, and you know, really yeah. get into this. Um, I'd love to start out with your book. So it's, you know, there, there are plenty of people out there who, uh, you know, in the property industry who are involved in, in various different things. But I, I've rarely come across somebody who's actually gone out and, you know, put their uh, put, put things into into a book. And, and that really caught my attention by you. And I'd love to just find out, first of all, a little bit more about that. And what was the reason for going out and doing that? Because if I'm not mistaken, it's, it's a couple of years ago, was it in 2018, that, that got released? Yes, yeah. So I, so I did my first book and then I've done two more since. And I've actually got a, a fourth one coming out next year. So to start with the first book, well, what happened was, I, over the years, I've always uh, been asked my opinion and uh, advice from lots and lots of different people, which is very, which is very, um, very nice of them. Of course, they all want it for free, the advice for free, especially friends. So um, I thought, well, this way, at least I get $9.95, or unless it's with Amazon, of course, in which case they take 65% of the value of the book. So you're never going to get rich writing a book unless you're unless it's a, a proper, what they call, you know, well, like a, a proper book is in, in as much that it's a, you know, it's a, it's, it sells hundreds of thousands of copies, then you might make some, but unfortunately the publishers take so much. Of, if you get it published, the publishers take a huge, a huge percentage of the book anyway. So it's pretty hard for these, uh, even these, what I call proper writers to make big money out of books. So I wrote the book because lots of people asking my advice. And secondly, um, I really didn't like the advice I was hearing they were getting from so-called property experts, uh, property educators, people like that. So I thought, you know what, I've done probably more than they've done. Um, so I wrote the book and I wrote it. The reason it's written in the way it's written. And someone said to me, well, it's as if you're speaking to me. And there's a reason for that. And I'll share it with you today. That's because I started writing it using um, um, dictaphone and I hated the sound of my voice. And, I, and it's so difficult to know what you've said. You can't remember what you've said. You keep going backwards and forwards. It's a disaster. For me, it was a disaster. Um, so what I decided to do is do it, is, is do it uh, on Siri on my phone. So I speak, in, so I speak to Siri. It, it types it out for me and then I just change it. And then I send it off to my the the friend of mine Vanessa, um, who uh, Britain who's written twenty seven books and I had a an equestrian magazine I did with her many years ago um, I funded it for her and uh, so I know I know Vanessa well so she she then kicked it about a little bit and she said you know what this book isn't too bad John I said well thank you she said it and actually it it's unique in a way because it's written as if you're speaking to the person who's reading it. And that's really quite good. Anyway, so that's how it came about. It was a bit of a fluke how I did it, but it seems to work. 
Love that. And so the book, is it, is it mainly for, because you said, you know, there's a lot of advice out there by these, yeah. I guess, so-called property gurus and, you know, we won't, yes. won't, 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 won't mention any names, but no. So, so the, was, was that kind of one of your driving forces behind actually putting that information out there, wanting to get yeah. what you would consider the right information? Absolutely. It was my main driving force because you're never going to get rich out of writing a book, um, like I said. And I, when I started writing, I really, I really enjoyed it. And the way it's said, so the way it's written, it's, it's not, you know, they're not, I don't write long books. I mean, they're all my books, all three books I've written so far, about 35,000 words. They say they ought to be 40,000. I keep being told off by Vanessa because they're not 40,000, but there's no, there's no fluff in them. It's all fact after fact after fact, as you know, having read it, uh, the first one, um, you know, there's, there's no flannel in there. It's just, it's just my experiences, what I've got, what I've done right, what I've done wrong and how I can explain to the readers how not to fall into the some of the traps maybe they might fall into and so on so and then that led on to my property seminars I do because someone said to me well it's all very well John writing a book but why don't you why aren't you doing any seminars <laughs> so so then I so then I decided okay I'll do some seminars so my three seminars I do are based on my three books so that's um the first book's really about um buying and buying and selling and investing for for newcomers and i say newcomers uh, actually you don't have to be a newcomer to read it because actually people say well it's not that newcomery it's they think it's quite detailed whereas for me it seems quite it's like anything if you know what you you're talking about some of the things you you think are obvious aren't to other people so you have to you have to dub it down a little bit which i tried to do and the second book is about buying and selling at auction which of course I've done for 35 odd years and had owned Auction House UK. And the third book is on advanced property developing and investing. So it's for the more sophisticated investor, perhaps someone who, who's already you know, got property and wants to step up and do a lot more. Uh, and then the, the book I'm doing coming out next year is for the general public, which is buying, really all about buying a property. I mean, buying a property is they say the second most stressful thing you ever do, buying or selling a property after divorce. Fortunately, I don't know about the first one, touch wood. Uh, that could be expensive. <laughs> and uh, so, so that's really about de-stressing and, and, and just being organised and disciplined in how you go about looking to buy a new property and don't put yourself under extreme pressure. Um, that, you know, it's something people do once every six or seven years. So I think it's, it, you know, that that's a much more commercial book. Um, and I think we'll get a decent take up, hopefully. Prop Sessions is brought to you by Prop Media, who partner with agents to generate 50 exclusive seller and buyer leads every single month on autopilot. That's guaranteed, or you get your money back. If you're interested in trying out Prop Media risk-free, Head over to www.propmedia.co.uk to book a call today. Now. Got it. So is that something you're, because obviously you're with the, the books and the content and what you're teaching out there, this is all stuff that you've obviously done yourself for your yeah. entire, entire career. So yeah. that, that book for more for the general public, is that something that you're also, are you involved with that side as well? Because from what, um, obviously, um, from what I understand, it's mainly kind of development and things like that that you're involved yeah. in. 
Um, I'd actually love to go into a bit more about that. What kind of projects are you working on at the moment? Well, just just to round off the books, so, so the, the the fourth the fourth book really, um, I, I own along with my business partner, Fine and Country in Norfolk. So we own five estate agencies. So we're very much in tune every day. Hopefully, most days I'm selling a property of some sort, um, whether it's through clients, <laughs> uh, through through the agencies, or or or, or as personally through our property companies. So you know wh whether it's whether it's um, me selling a property directly to someone else or via an agency, we're doing it every day of the year and we have done for you know, years and years. So that's where all the experience comes in. Um, in terms of general experience, in terms of deals, um, yeah, so I've just finished um, the biggest project, financial project I've done, which is um, was 27 million build, build of uh, the wine rack in Ipswich, which is uh, with 150 flats overlooking the river. Uh, we finished it in February uh, on time and within the budget, which is uh, hard to do. So that's nice. Um, mind you, at that level, you don't want to get that wrong because <laughs> it can be rather <laughs> expensive. <laughs> so, and, and what I would say is, it, it, it doesn't happen very often that people come on, come in in budget, you know, on budget and within the time scale, because it's so difficult to do. And I always say, you know, give yourself a bit more time than you think it's going to take. Take the pressure off yourself. Always, you know, under promise and over deliver. It makes life a lot easier. So that's that. That project's all finished, and it's three quarters sold, which is fantastic. And this, you know, what's it's been such a challenging market this year, although it's obviously come back a lot better than everyone thought it would. And then, uh, so that's my big project. But we've got a number of number of other projects. I've just purchased um, twenty part finished houses in Birmingham uh, via via uh, an auction or an auction uh, house um, that. Um, the bank went bankrupt, the builder went bankrupt, went to auction, didn't sell at auction, and we picked it up after the auction. So that's a genuine distressed, when you hear about the word distressed stock, that really is distressed stock. And what I've what I've launched is the John Howard bond, uh, which is listed on the Irish stock market, and it allows investors, mainly, mainly high net worth investors, to invest um, uh, in a bond that then buys property. So that's something new that I've done this year with a guy called Christian Burrows, who I've known for 20 odd years. And Christian had a hedge fund that he sold out. So he's the brains and the financial brains behind that one. All I've got to do is go and buy the properties, which of course is the easy bit, according to him. <laughs> no pressure, no pressure. So that's good fun. And uh, and it's a bit different for me. So I mean, looking forward to doing that. And we what we're looking to do is to buy uh, distressed stock, similar to what I've just mentioned in Birmingham, and also large property portfolios. But on top of that, what we're also doing, I've launched the John Howard Joint Venture Joint Venture Fund, which enables uh, not just uh, first time property developers but other people as well who, who are more experienced to to um join venture with me in development so it, it, we so i put up the deposit so i put up the top 30 35 percent of the deal uh and the bank put up the rest so actually someone if the deal's good enough um then i can join venture with them and the only money they have to put into the deal would be the the stamp duty and the legal fees for the solicitor and the and the bank i don't charge any fees going into the deal at all and we split the profit 50 50. 
Fantastic. Yeah. So there's, there's still a, a lot you're working on. And, that, and that's interesting to hear yeah. about, about your project, um, you know, with the success of it, given, given the current market, you know, I guess, as, as you mentioned, I'd, I'd love to get your two cents on it. You know, it's been a, it's been a roller coaster year for, for everyone, you know, property and all industries. What's it, what's it been like, you know, cause you've, I guess you're in a very unique position where you're viewing the market from so many different lenses. What, what's it been like, for you just, I, I guess generally, is, has there been anything that's um, you've been able to take away or anything that you've found quite maybe surprising or, or any just, I guess, um, cliff notes from, you know, from this year with the property market? Great question. <laughs> so I had over 13, 35 million pounds of the property to sell this year. So which most of which I'd like to have sold. Uh, developments like the wine rack and one or two other developments. So uh, when lockdown came in February, March time, we all took a bit of a gulp and thought, oh, this isn't good. What's going to happen? Uh, and uh, and so with the our state agencies, uh, we obviously furloughed everyone bar two people. So we furloughed 43 people. Um, but interestingly, I, we, made, we made cash available to our agency because with estate agents, they say, if you don't sell anything within three months, you go bust, which is probably true because you know, your overheads are your overhead, fixed overheads, you can't get rid of them. So you, you've always got to have cash available to, to put back into a business like that. And we made substantial funds available um, to go back into the business should it, should it be required because we thought it may well be required when we came out of lockdown. As it happened, because of the immense, um, um, what can I call it, um, the, the, the immense pent-up demand and the fact that people want to, to have a, a revaluation of their lifestyle, really. Uh, I did an article in, in a paper soon after the lockdown where I said that I thought, you know, people will come to Suffolk and Norfolk, and I'm obviously biased to, um, to come to Suffolk and Norfolk, but it could be any other nice county really uh, out of out of the cities because of their lifestyle changes some people were perhaps thinking of doing it in five years time and have brought that forward five years and realized that you know you don't have to go to london by train every single day and 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 you know my grandchildren will probably sit down and say to me one day so people actually got up at five o'clock in the morning they got on a train to London every day for 30 years and got back at seven at night and did the same thing next day. They'll think we're all crackers. And, you know, I know a lot of people who, who are no longer ever going to do that again. Uh, they might go once or twice a week, which is fair enough. And younger people like you <laughs> may well want to be based in, in London and big cities and, and, and go to work every day. Uh, on a more traditional basis but I think with Zoom and everything else uh, I, I just think it's probably changed forever I think with I think with in 10 months yeah 10 yeah 10 months now we've probably gone forward 12 10 years and I think I don't see it, I don't see it all coming back again and I see the London property market get being difficult going forward because I just think I mean rents have gone down 14% this year in London Properties have been selling, yes, but I think at a discount and, and they can afford to do a discount, the people who own them, because they've had such a great uplift over the last few years. 
And I think the Bennett, I think other parts of the country are benefiting hugely. And when we came back from lockdown at Farnham Country, we have had the most amazing time. We have, we've, we've had, we've been busier than we've ever been in 10 years since we owned the business. Uh, and that's the same for a lot of agents. Um, and actually, I set up the bond uh, with Christian to take, to really, um, take up take the opportunities of distressed stock and everything else that's going to happen with a recession property recession and although i believe it is happening in certain quarters a lot of it's been put back six months to nine months because the property market is so good now it's getting developers out of trouble that were in trouble probably um which which is which is interesting i still think next year is going to be hugely tough and you know, you can't have formerly an unemployed, which I think it will be without it affecting the property market, whatever anyone says. And and I think the recession, you know, I've survived three recessions um, and I've, I've done, I've made more money during and coming out of a recession than I have done um, ever in any other time of my careers. So this will be the fourth time. So um, let's see what happens it may not be as bad as people think it might be other people think there won't be one i think personally there's got to be one um but this government are very very in tune with the property market fortunately with help to buy and um and reducing the stamp duty and i can't see them putting the stamp duty back on again um personally for quite a while if ever i i think that's a, a tax on it's the tax on people moving around the country and they want people to move around the country to to take up new jobs and so on and it, it's penalizing them really and i think that overall um the property market is so important that they they, they they say that for everybody that buys a house they spend five percent of the value of that house on the house so five percent of the value of whatever people pay for the house is spent on you know carpets curtains and that and everything else building materials or whatever and paint and that obviously is so important to the economy so and i think Rushi, to be fair to him understands that much more so than perhaps um shall i say philip hammond did who i met a few times and he was dull to be honest with you but i suppose you do it's a bit like you you do want him a, you do want them a bit dull don't you really because they've got to be very cautious people or should be cautious people so i i guess yeah that's that's a good point so with the you know with the recession i guess is you know i agree in inevitable in some sense how do you think that is going to actually affect the property market though because obviously you've obviously if it's formerly unemployed inevitably that's going to you know, affect it. But then I guess the question is, which, who are these people who are really going to be unemployed? Is it, is it younger people? Is it, yeah. you know, house buyers and that kind of stuff? So what, what's, what's your view on that and, and your kind uh, of approach going into next year? I think you make a really good point. And the point you've just made is that, I think the point you're making is that a lot of the people losing their jobs, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending how you look at it, aren't, aren't the sort of people that were likely to purchase a house in the next six, nine months, which is sad for them. But, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people who are, who are in the, you know, restaurant business, pub business, that type of, that type of employee, unfortunately, are probably not earning enough anyway to be able to, on their own, they might be with a partner, 
uh, to be able to buy a property anyway. So I think I think that maybe the effect won't be as bad as I thought it might be. Certainly, coming out of coming out of the, the COVID last time around, I was I was very concerned about everything. And actually, I've been I've been proved wrong in many ways. I've been too cautious, which is never a bad thing. Uh, and next year, I'm going to be super cautious. I've sold a lot of properties, a lot of, lot of the properties that we own that were on the market, we've got buyers for, um, and we're selling. So I'm delighted about that. I don't see the domestic market dropping, certainly outside London, um, really, because I think there is still enough pent-up demand. And actually, this, next, this last lockdown, I think, perhaps just reminds people who haven't done anything about moving and so on to actually get off the backsides and do it, probably. So I think it might create a little pent-up demand again. Um, so I think next year that the domestic market, I think, will be OK. It's definitely a two-tier market. You've got the domestic market. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, you know, if you're buying a home to live in and it goes down 5%, 10% in the next year or so, are you that bothered if you're going to stay there long term? It's where you want to live and so on. I don't think it really affects people that much. And of course, if you're already in the market, that def definitely doesn't affect you because, you, OK, you get a bit less for the house you own, but you pay a bit less for the one you're buying. And if you're going up in terms of value, then actually it's a benefit to you. So, but, it, but on the other hand, so that's one side of it. On the other side of it, you've got the, the developers who are, you know, property entrepreneurs, developers, investors. Investors, not much of a problem. OK, the rents may not the rent rental market may not rents may not increase uh, because people can't afford them. Some people might be moving back in with mum and dad, and so on. But I think in the south, certainly in southern England, there's a massive shortage of housing. People forget that there's no shortage of housing up north at all. There's a surplus of anything, um, but down south there's a shortage. Um, so that's a big that's a big problem. So I don't think I don't think domestically in any shape or form it's going to be too much of a problem. As I said it's for property developers who have got projects half finished, who have got the prices wrong on those properties, who have got a bank that are charging them a fortune, or bank who run into difficulty and trouble. Sorry about that. Yeah, uh, then, 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 then that, then that is a major problem, and I think, and I think that when things start slowing up sales-wise, which inevitably they will next year, those type of people who are overstretched financially, perhaps inexperienced as well, and not sure how to get out of the problem they've got themselves into, and haven't anticipated there being a problem in the first place, will be in trouble. Got it. So. I guess on the topic of, of estate agents, and there are, there are quite a few estate agents who, who watch this and, you know, who, who really benefit from this kind of uh, advice and content. What would your advice be to those estate agents who maybe are a little bit earlier on in their career? You know, maybe they're, um, you know, they've set up a, a local high street or perhaps they, maybe they, you know, they've got an online model. Maybe they're just an agent, you know, the, the growing self-employed model. What would yeah. your advice be to them? You know, I guess whether they are, you know, south or, or north, just just generally be for you know next year, um, for them to you know have have a good year when inevitably the market is going to be different. Well, I think like anything, they say cream cream rises to the surface, uh, and I think I think that's absolutely true. The good ones 
in, in a recession, a good agent in a recession earns more money in commission because they can charge more commission. The vendors uh, they act for uh, uh, are more motivated to to they've got especially if they, they need to sell they're more so they're more motivated and a good agent that, that takes care of their clients and um, uh, continues to talk to their clients on a, uh, the biggest compl comp the biggest complaint of most vendors is that they don't hear from their agent enough. Now, estate agents by nature don't like delivering bad news. What they do is they wake up in the morning, they open the curtains and it's always a sunny day. That's an estate agent mainly, which is great because that's how you want them to be. You want, you don't want your estate agent to come around with a miserable face and say he can't, he or she can't sell it because the market's rubbish. You want them to come around and say, well, the market is tough, but, you know, this is what we can do for you and this is what we can do. And I think being more honest with the, and honesty is perhaps the wrong word I'm using, more realistic with, the, with, the, with your clients. In a, in a tough market, you can be more realistic with your clients. You can actually tell them how it is a bit more. And I think that that's really important. And also not to take properties on, because every time you take a property on, it costs you money. Not to take properties on that are overpriced and not going to sell because you're worried about the competition having it. You know what, let the competition have those ones because at the end of the day, they're not gonna sell them. And we all know that 60%, something like 60% of properties are sold by the second agent, not the first agent. So you need to get your touting, you need to get your canvassing going well, you need to speak to these potential vendors you've got more than their actual agents speak to them themselves. And that's the way to run a successful estate agency. Got it. Yeah. So a bit being much more direct and honest and just really being, I guess, that that voice of reason. You know, some of the, you know, we've worked with a lot, a lot of different estate agents and there's a couple really in mind that when, as you were saying that, who are just the, the no BS, I'm going to tell you yep. how it is. Um, more generally more experienced estate agents just yes to i think that. experience is you experience is very useful but but it's not the being an end all you know when i started um you know estate agency and and property you know developing i was very inexperienced very young and you can replace some of that experience by enthusiasm and dogged determination and i think obviously a balance of both is great but 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 please you know all these young aspirational people that want to be an agent um you know if you're not one get out and do it if you are one fancy great business to be in you can learn so much about business in general and if you want to stay in it for life that's brilliant if you want to end up start investing in property and everything else yourself that's even better or, or a combination of the both is probably perfect Absolutely. Um, so with the so with, with finding country, um, obviously, you know, the, the reputation is, is it's got one of the, you know, the best reputations of, of an estate agency in the UK. I'd be curious to know how, how it works with you in terms of how you approach growing the estate agency. Obviously, you mentioned a couple of different things, you know, going direct, you know, touting that kind of stuff um, that works. I'd be curious to know what other things that you do obviously with the times moving on you know there's so much um prop tech thrown around and, and so yeah. many more you know different strategies that are now coming up and available for estate agents to use um has, has any been anything that's caught your attention or that you found particularly useful uh you know in the, this year that you've come across well what i would firstly say you, what you must appreciate i'm a bit of a dinosaur 
So there's all this great prop tech and some and some of it is brilliant. Some of it is really helpful. The ones, the bits that are really helpful are where they where where when you're canvassing for other properties other agents have got. And I don't apologize ever for canvassing other people's properties. That's business. And if they don't like it, there's one or two of the big names who 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 uh, don't like it very much, but but that's unfortunately you know far terms i'm concerned they should get on and do it themselves if they you know rather, rather than complain about it they should you know crack on so um th so the old-fashioned ways and the old traditional ways of, of of you know canvassing and knocking on doors uh, has changed slightly because of prop tech and what's what's great about prop tech you still have to do in my, in my view you still have to crunch the gravel as it were because most of our properties that we take on have got gravel, <laughs> so you've got to, you've still got to do that. But but the information you get from PropTech makes it much quicker and easier to to actually find where these properties are, because no no good agent will put on their put the full address on on right move or anything else, will they? So you've still got to work out where they are, and that where where a PropTech is very very good is 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 Work, working out where these properties are for you and it saves you an awful lot of time so it's a combination i think of of the old-fashioned ways and speaking to people not emailing them picking up the phone talking to them engaging with them uh finding a way of of um gaining their confidence is just as important as it ever was but behind that your backup if you like is so much more efficient than it's ever been before and i think it's that combination that makes a really good agent of being open-minded to new ideas trying them at finer country in norfolk we trial loads of ideas some which don't work um all the good ideas are mine obviously uh, <laughs> all the bad ideas are, are my other directors uh but um uh, seriously, it's you know you've got to be brave enough to try ideas. If you don't try anything, um, that, then you then you're never going to move forward. And and the biggest compliment anyone can give you in a stage agency is people start copying you. And when they start copying you, you you, you always need to be pushing those boundaries and finding something new and different to to make you to separate yourself from them all the time. You need to have a as, you know an sp you need something that that stand, makes you stand out from the others i mean originally in the very old days it was color photographs on brochures and now today everyone laughs when i say that but in those days you know color brochure on a brochure was on a, on a sales particular brochure was fantastic you know wow you know so you always need to have something and of course as everything's got easier and cheaper to do like color photographs were expensive originally now they're cheap all the rest of it. So it's all changed, and you just need to keep finding that one new thing that everyone else isn't doing. Do, do you guys use home search? Have you guys tried uh, them? Yeah, we use all sorts. I mean, we use all, all sorts of different things. And and actually, Fine and Country, we have a hub at Fine Country that has got some fantastic tech on it. Uh, and and the biggest criticism I would say of all of us in the Fine and Country family all of us is probably very few people use everything on the hub that they could use. And that's criminal really, because it's sat there, we've paid for it one way or the other. Uh, and, and one of my jobs is to encourage all our guys and girls to, to, um, to use everything possible at their disposal. Very important. Yeah, no, absolutely. absolutely. I, I only asked about home search because we've got them on the podcast tomorrow. Just curious. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
yeah, but yeah, that, that, that is such a good point that you, you just raised with the things that are already at estate agents disposal. Obviously, filing country, you'll have your own tools and, and, and prop yeah. tech, but even generally estate agents who are, who are parts of different, you know, for example, of the guild or all these different yeah, uh, membership places. Yeah. There's, there's so much available to them. And this is a conversation I seem to have all the time. You know, obviously what we do is, is you know, marketing for estate agents, helping them generate yep. instructions. And, yep. and when I ask them, you know, what kind of things are you doing at the moment? They'll list all of these different things that they're involved with or subscribe to or trialing. And the reality yep. is a lot of yep. it just doesn't seem to get used. And I think yep. a, bit, a big part of it is just time and, and education maybe time being the, the biggest one. And I'd be, I'd be curious to know your thoughts on this, you know, with things like PropTech and, and the way that we're able yeah. to get in front of our ideal vendors and landlords changing a little bit, how yeah. does that um, how does that look day to day, you know, for a well, state agent? Yeah, it's very interesting you should say that because I, I again, I think this year, you, t you take, um, I know we go slightly off subject, but you take auctions. So to potentially, so um, online auctions, we could never get an auction house. Oh, we bought it 10 years ago, sold my shares two years ago. Um, and with the online auctions, we, we launched online auctions with Auction House UK. We had 42 franchises in the end. And we, we launched it probably four years ago. Couldn't get any take up from any of the auctioneers didn't want to know across across our our brand. And the reason they didn't want to know is because they love standing up being an auctioneer. Love it. They don't want they love the theatre of it all. And they don't they thought oh, online will never work. So we've got a lot of negativity towards it. Um, and, and now, of course, they've all been forced to do it through lockdown. And now some of them will never go back to doing a proper auction. I think many will. I think there's a combination. I think like all these things, some of both, some of some of both is probably okay. And I think the same with this prop tech is that actually you've had a fantastic boost over this year. All this type of stuff has had a fantastic boost because um, a lot of the guys and girls in a state agency, uh, they're big art, they're big every time they don't want to do anything, they say they're too busy. That's the big excuse. Oh, I'm on the phone all the time. I haven't got time to do it. I haven't got time to do it. The fact is a lot of these prop tech and a lot of the marketing ideas that you do and so on can save them so much time. I mean, Norwich, for instance, um, the Norwich office of Final Country is the, over the years, sold more houses than any other office of Final Country. Hugely successful office. Now, we were spending something like uh, 100,000 a year on advertising in the paper. And the East Anglian Daily Times, which is the paper, EDP, is one of the best regional papers in the UK. Um, very successful paper. And we were, and on a, on a Friday, the, the, the property section is, is still relatively thick with agents advertising in it. So we said four years ago, with the backing of, 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 um, of Cameron Black, our, our director in Norwich, we're going to stop all paper advertising. Now, we were the first agent to stop it and go just online, or online advertising. Um, that was a ballsy move. It saved us 100 grand a year, but with an average fee of £8,000, you can see you don't need to lose too many people on the basis that you're not advertising in the paper to, to do it. And I think maybe the first year we did lose a little bit of business because of it. Um, but, I mean, paper advertising, you know, it went out with the art, didn't it? So you know we've always tried to be the first to do things differently and and that's certainly i think an example of how we've been 
you know, ballsy enough, if you like, to 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 move forward. Uh, and and now, you know, agent uh, agents still advertising the paper, but less. But they still can't resist. And that's because they've got the head buried in the stand and they're old fashioned. They don't want to change. Uh, and we had to force that change through. And we had all sorts of, you can imagine, our uh, people we work with saying, oh, John, this is a mistake. You know, everyone else is going to say we don't know why aren't we advertising anymore. But sometimes you've just got to be forward thinking and ballsy. And so that's what we're doing um, and, and just get on with it, because they were always estate agents will always find a reason if they don't want to do something like anybody in any business, they'll find a reason why they don't want to do it because they're too busy because it doesn't work. Even if they haven't tried it, it hasn't worked, you know? So, you, you know, it is frustrating at times, but, but, but we are a very tight knit, knit team at, at, um, at, in Norfolk and, you know, every year, well, not this year, obviously, but every year we go away Christmas together, 40 odd people. We last year, we went to Porto for Christmas, not Christmas. We go early December. We're going to miss it this year. Um, my business partner will be pleased because he won't have to pay out a few thousand quid to go, but the rest of us will be disappointed. So, you know, uh, and ironically, they've had the best year ever, probably, uh, since we've owned the business. We won't be, we won't be uh, saying thank you to them in the same way as we normally do. But there we go. Hopefully we'll be back at it next year. No, absolutely. And, and, and I think that's, that's a good point. You know, it, it shows a lot just in that example you gave of when you, you know, advertising in the paper, the EDP. I was actually in, in Norwich for, for three years while I was at university. And, you Were know, you? I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely Lovely, love... lovely, lovely city, isn't it? A, Beautiful a, city. A, a, a fine city, if I do go... Yeah, a fine city, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, and and, and that, that did really interest me to see how prominent, you know, papers like that were. So Very strong, very strong. I, I, I would love to know what your thought process was back then, because, you know, it, with hindsight to say, you know, we stopped doing paper advertising well everyone can nod their head and kind of agree but at the time when that was was very successful for you and you know it was probably a very good good part of the marketing budget what did that you know how did you kind of make that decision to say actually you know what we're going to stop and was that then redirected to different marketing or, or how did that work well it, it, it... People say, oh, it's easier for you, John, because it's not your main business and, you know, it, 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 you know you're, not, you're not in the firing line on a day-to-day -day basis, which is true, of course. You know, we, have, we now have Zoom meetings every week, which is great, because otherwise, you know, once every couple of weeks I drive up, see them all, have a coffee, you know, buy them. It's always, why is it always bacon roll day when I get there? Why is it always my turn to pay? It's funny, isn't it? Uh, but anyway, you know, because I believe that's all part of what we, you know, it's all part of my job is to find out if there's any problems with anyone and, and, and keep everyone happy. Um, but, but of course, remotely for me to say that's what we're doing and be positive and, and confident about it, um, it is a lot easier than if you're the if you're the sole owner and that's your only business you've got and, and the risks involved in, you know, in, in just saying no. I mean, I suppose... I probably said at the time, look, let's try this for six, let's try it for three months. If we think it's affecting us hugely, then let's we'll go back to it or we'll do something. But of course, in in reality, once you stop something like that, you hardly you're very rarely going to go back. And of course, huge pressure coming from the EDP to us saying, oh well, you know, everyone else is still advertising, they're doing this, they're doing that, and I, you know what, I couldn't, I just couldn't care less. 
Um, and I've always looked to be confident and to row row your own boat. And yes, we did put a bit more into into the right move, and we did use some of the budget to do other things, some which work, some which don't work. Um, so I think it's a mixture of traditional uh, and new, and I think that that marriage is very very is very very important. And interestingly, once and this is absolutely true, when we bought auction house uh, uk and and final country in in the last recession 2008-9 um it was part of a group called tops in norwich and you may remember them they were they they had 10 estate agents spotted around norwich unbelievable 10 different offices and the year before we bought uh the business they spent, and this is absolutely true, £750,000 with the EDP on advertising. And they were only the third biggest contributor to property advertising at that time in the EDP. That was, what, 10 years ago. So you can see how things have changed for these newspapers. So they, they literally went from getting 750000 off the group um, to when we bought it, uh, and 10 of the office, the, the state agent offices, the main ones were closed. We just bought Fine and Country and Auction House. And we went, literally, they went from, I think Auction House spent 50 grand a year with them. So we went from 750,000 the year before to 150,000 the following year. And, and, and when, we, when we finished spending money with um, them four or five years ago with um, EDP, we were still the third biggest client they had at a hundred thousand pounds so it just shows you how things have changed i mean they were 800 pounds a page 800 pounds a page and there's people spending you know three four five pages okay you got discount for the third page or something you know but so bloody what you know it was ridiculous um and of course they felt you had they had you over a barrel and there's no one else there's nowhere else you could have which there wasn't uh, at the time but that's where this prop tech and everything else is is and right move and all the others have, have come into their own, haven't they? It's amazing, really, what's happened. And, and what, 90% of property searches have started on a phone now or something like that? You know, um, it's amazing. Amazing. Brilliant. Um, so to, to round up, I'd like to just go with a couple of fun, fun uh, questions. Please do. Yes, I'm good at um, these. I'm good at these. Lovely, Sometimes. lovely. <laughs> <laughs> so the so first one I've got for you is, um, obviously, you've been... You've, you've been in this property industry for a very long time. So you've been able, you know, and over that time, everybody develops some pet peeves. Um, what's one of your biggest pet peeves in the property industry? Pet peeves, what? Things I hate. Yeah. Something that hates or annoys you gets under your skin, something. Yeah, something when it like annoys me um, is solicitors who only seem to exchange on a Friday afternoon. What the bloody hell that's all about. <laughs> and, and if they miss the Friday afternoon, it never happens on the Monday morning, does it? And I've Very lost true. so many deals. I've lost so many deals over the weekends. They either die on you, get ill, find out that their partner's having an affair. So come the Monday, the deal's off. So what, drive it forward, make sure it happens before, th before Friday to exchange, because they're so busy on a Friday, these solicitors. Uh, drives me nuts that they, they are too busy to exchange. You know, it's just ridiculous. Uh, holding people's lives up uh, and funny enough in my late, latest book 
the, the conclusion I come to is to have a smooth move, as it were. The biggest thing is to pick the right solicitor. The biggest thing of all, pick the right solicitor. That, that's, that's so interesting. You just never hear, I've just never heard that, you know, in, in property advice for, for people. Pick the right solicitor. Because I guess a lot of people just go with whichever one the estate agent recommends. Right, so. Yeah, well, actually, I, yeah, I, what I would say on that, most of the time, the, solicitor, the, the agents pick a good age, a, a good solicitor, to be fair, because they know which ones will get off their backside. And of course, you know, if they give them re regular business, they're going to jump, hopefully, when they say, the agent rings them and said, hey, you're getting on, we want this through next week, they might actually help. But it's, it's the arrogance of a lot of these solicitors these days. And, and you know, I've got, we've got solicitors now saying, oh, with the funny country, oh, well, there's no way we could take any more clients on. What? Turning business away because they're so busy. Or saying, oh, no, well, we won't get it through till January, February, March time next year. What? It's appalling. It's absolutely disgusting. All they're doing is checking a load of paperwork, isn't it? How hard's that? <laughs> I mean, it's not rocket science, I can assure you. Yeah, that, that wow, that is crazy. January, February, March next year. Appalling. That, that. Absolutely appalling. Absolutely appalling. Yeah. All right. Ne next question I've got for you is, looking, looking back at, at the past, how has a failure or a perceived failure um, that you've had led to a later success? So something, you know, at the time it may have, it seemed like a some kind of failure could be a big, could be small, but then it actually ended up being, you know, a success or another way to phrase that is do you yeah. have a favorite failure looking back? Well, what I would say, show me a property developer who's never made or investor come to that, who's never made who's never made a loss, and I'll show you a liar. So every developer, every investor, anybody in life, you know, you're gonna make mistakes, but you learn far more about yourself and about the business when you make a mistake than when everything's going okay. When everything's going okay, you know, the market's rising. Even if you make a mistake, it's masked by the fact that the property market is rising and you get out of jail, as I call it, because of, not because of anything you've done, but because of the market. Um, and I think the biggest lesson I learned probably was in the 90s, in the early 90s recession, we survived it, but at that point, and we lost money, but we survived it. At that point, I decided to make sure that I had an um, a ongoing property income to run alongside my property development. So um, what we do is virtually, if not all the deals we do, we don't roll up the interest. You know, a lot of property developers, and, and we do sometimes, but not often, the interest is rolled up and paid at the end of the deal what we tend to do is pay the income pay the interest out of our uh, ongoing rental income so that makes a huge difference to the helps with the deal it helps get the banks involved gives everyone more confidence so anybody out there who's got uh, an investor or is looking to invest be it start an estate agency or be it start any business or a uh, or um, uh, property developing the biggest thing is to make sure that you give that investor be it the bank or anyone else confidence in what you do and you know I've got people that come to me and say well John I'm gonna I want to buy this property for a million pounds and I want to do this and I, I need you know I need three and fifty thousand from you and I go okay well 
we might we might be able to do something. Uh, what do you want to spend 350 on? Well, some of it's for a deposit, which is fair enough. But then, of course, I need to live for the next year and a half. So I'm going to take out 3000 a month that is going to be for me to live. No, no. You know, that's not giving anyone any confidence, <laughs> you know, that I'm giving them money so they can live. They live off a different way. And the way, the other way to live off, if your other income is another job or salary you've got or rental income. So that's why I say that it's very good to, you know, with property, not just don't just be the developer. If you can have an income, if you can become an, if you're an investor and a developer, I think that's a better way of doing it. Or for a lot of people, of course, you know, it can be a second income. So the main income pays all the bills and then anything you do with property developing or investing can be re the whole of it can be invested, invest, reinvested, which is even better, to be honest with you. It takes a lot of pressure off. Um, everybody involved really really smart smart piece of advice actually to, to a lot of people yeah and like you said not just investors but lots of people can actually benefit from that um okay last question for you so yeah. it's your we're gonna fast forward uh a good a good good number of years it's your last day god god uh, i'll be dead i'll be dead last day the, no no <laughs> good, good number of years we're looking at 150 um, oh right okay Christ, that's been a long time ago yeah <laughs> so uh so it's your last day on the planet now you can't leave behind any of your you know wealth material assets anything physical but you can leave behind one piece of advice to your family and you know your loved ones and the people you care most about yep. um what would you leave them with one bit of advice I would say the one bit of advice I'd leave them with is treat everyone the same. It doesn't matter where it's it's Harry the Gardener or, or Lord Bingham or Lord whoever. Treat everybody, speak, speak to everyone and treat everyone in the same way, in the same manner. And always smile when you speak to people because if you, speak, if you smile when you speak to people, you're halfway there. They're automatically like you and you want to be likeable. Love that. Absolutely love that piece of advice. I just want to thank you again, uh, John, for your time coming. I know absolute you're a busy man. Pleasure. Good, good, um, good fun. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. And we'll uh, we'll roll up that.